I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Teched Up. My guest today is ag tech investor Connie Bowen. She's the co-founder of Farmhand Ventures and raises capital to help fix some of the toughest challenges facing food systems and farming. She has some straight talk for Silicon Valley investors who are pouring money into agri-farm tech that just isn't going to work. She also knows a lot about corn. Today in the studio, we have Connie Bowen. She's in D.C. for a venture capital summit and is an early stage investor in ag tech, which I might be saying wrong. It might be agri-farm tech. We're going to talk about it. Connie, welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. It's so you're such a good sport to come in. I looked at the attendees at this summit and just so people know what it is in case they don't. Steve Case, co-founder of AOL, is based in Washington, D.C. He has a venture fund here. And one of the funds in his world is called the Rise of the Rust Seed Fund. And they basically look for tech investments that are not in Silicon Valley, New York City or Boston. So the rest And I looked at the list of attendees and saw your name and what you're working on. And I thought it was so interesting. So asked if you'd stop by while you're in D.C. And I'm grateful that you did. Yeah, I'm glad you reached out. So let's talk about you for a minute. How did you end up working in ag tech, agriculture tech? You're not from farm country. Yeah, I am not from farm country, although I grew up in the Garden State. So like, you know, there's a lot of agriculture (laughs) in New Jersey that people don't know about. I don't think anyone thinks that. (laughs) They should, though. Southern Jersey. We used to be number one in blueberries. We have great tomatoes. I I could go on, but I won't. But so, yeah, grew up in New Jersey, like New York burbs, really, kind of like Wall Street suburb type vibe. And I actually worked in restaurants. Like, I love food, basically. And I've always really cared about sustainability. I debated doing, like, the restaurant thing instead of the college thing, but ended up studying engineering because, as people I worked for in the restaurant industry pointed out, you can be a chef with an engineering degree, but not the other way around. And one pays a lot better if you break your hand. So, so kind of, I think Marion, I think that ag tech is the natural intersection of, yeah, food and, te- and engineering. So that's kind of, I ended up building like food computers. So like vertical, so fully controlled environmental things while I was in college and kind of like, we're all into vertical farming now. It's like very hot and cool, but this was very early. The guy I built it with was one of the first engineers at Aero Farms. So like we were early in that, and that meant I had to work in startups. And so I stumbled into this fellowship program called Venture for America, which is now a little bit competitive. Andrew Yang started it way back when. Oh, and it was, math! It was, it was, <laughs> it, was <laughs> it was, it was less competitive when I got in. But it's, it's so that's how I ended up working in St. Louis. So I was actually, which is where I live today. So I was the second employee really at the Yield Lab, which is now a was like arguably the first ag tech accelerator or agri-food tech. I, we can call it whatever we want, but I like, like agri-food is broader, I suppose. And so when I started out, we were like, huh, I wonder if we can raise a fund specifically around ag tech. And it turns out you can, you can raise several funds <laughs> and you can deploy them probably pretty well. But so when I was at the Yield Lab, I saw a lot of kind of like impact washing in not, you know, we wanted, we were focused on sustainability in ag. And so was everyone else was trying to raise a fund in ag tech at that time. But there were a lot of stretchy definitions of impact. And I wanted to try to actually quantify and give ourselves standards. So through my work with the Yield Lab and and investing in like early stage ag tech companies, I also I observed kind of like a disconnect between ag and tech. And I figured I could learn more about ag. One thing I didn't mention is my family does have a farm in Iowa. I did not spend time there really as a kid. I now go up and visit the guy who farms it all the time. But um, 
But this gives you some credit. Like, this is the funny thing. Yeah, okay. Let, I want to talk about farm culture. For, first of all, yeah, you yeah, just yeah. said a lot of words no one has probably heard or thought of okay, before, okay. including me. Like, I hear greenwashing, but I've never heard impact washing. Sure. I I want to dig into a couple of things you talked about. But part of why I'm interested in this is the cultural connection. I actually grew up in a rural area west of Indianapolis before we started recording. I was asking you if technically growing up with chickens in a barn and hogs that were slaughtered was a farm. And amazingly, you asked me, like, per the USDA definition, (laughs) was it? Answer, no. But I did spend time as a kid in feed stores. And what interests me is kind of what you're talking about, the disconnect between who's investing in some of the potential solutions around agri-food, agriculture tech, which are often people from the world I entered into, which is Silicon Valley. I lived in Silicon Valley for a long time, right by Sand Hill Road, where all the venture capitalists are. We know they've done clean energy investments and they're starting to turn more to this area you're in. And so for me, it's kind of like an interesting cultural nexus between like how I grew up and then what I ended up doing for a living. Um, And I just want to hear from you. So let's definitely dive into it. But I think I see it as also a disconnect, but you have a better way of phrasing what that disconnect is. No, there is a huge disconnect. And and I mean, that's what's so cool about ag too. Like it intersects every element of kind of like I'm like a clearly a liberal artsy fartsy kind of person but like it intersects everything right and there is this weird thing in agriculture that I think is problematic actually that is like we glorify whatever the farthest generation farmer you are the more street cred you automatically have so like if you're a fifth generation farmer you start a startup you're gonna have no problem raising funds because which because why and also It's silly that on the other end of that, uh, there's this problem that I like to call tech bros fixing farms. Tech (laughs) bros fixing farms. I love it. I love. Well, tech bros can fix anything. I don't know if you've Uh, heard. Obviously. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And they don't even have to visit. But like, you know, I've heard like if a company thinks that their device is going to work in sugar beets and soybeans, that tells me that they have either not been to to both that they haven't been to both types of farms. Right. Because like those are just really, really different systems. And (laughs) <laughs> so one thing about Connie for our listeners, I was research. I always research our guests and anything they've said before they come on. And I was reading a column you wrote, and I'm going to call it corn shaming, which is where you basically talk about this phenomenon of, just, you know, people who and I know a lot of these people. I'm really quite good friends with a lot of people who went to Stanford, became a venture capitalist, are trying in all earnestness to, like, help raise money for things that will help major, major problems in the world. And you sort of make this point, like you, if you don't know the difference, it was like a kernel burn. It was like, if you don't know this about corn, you actually don't know what you're doing. And you could, and worse, you could make things worse or fail to fix things that are fixable. While I was working at the Yield Lab, I was simultaneously managing a family office in New York that invested in direct investments and funds. And they were, they're in some of the top, top, top 10 VC funds. So it was great because I got an opportunity to observe like normal, coastal, New York, Boston, investment fund returns and direct investments, terms and multiples. As compares to Midwest ag tech emerging fund returns, multiples, projections, and even just like processes. And there's a misalignment. And like there that you're going to if your investors have expectations that a couple of your companies are going to be unicorns. And that's completely unlikely in the context of uh, in a certain time time frame too, and that's pretty improbable with a lot of ag tech investments. 
I worry about that. I mean, one, that's, I think, a problem for your LPs, but I, I care less about that than I am worried that what will happen with ag tech is what happened in the 90s with clean tech 1.0. Yes, which and is, clean tech 2.0, which yeah. I was in Silicon Valley for. Just so people know, that's where you had tons of money pouring into clean tech technologies that did not pan out within a seven-year exit horizon, which is what venture capitalists right. want, or just didn't work. Right. And a lot of these funds really didn't make a, a return. Invest in ag tech. We need to, and I, we can talk about that, but like, do it intelligently and realistically and understand that it's going to take a while to scale and understand that the robot that can pick an apple is going to be very expensive to learn to pick a pear. And it, yeah, I w- like we can talk about the different shapes and different types of apple orchards and different geographies. And like, it's expensive. You have to do a lot of kind of custom work for relatively niche markets that are expensive to service. And that's a real problem. It's a business opportunity, but it's probably not a billion dollar business opportunity. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't make money and shouldn't do it. So let's shift from the financing and the investment opportunity. And you are doing a different kind of fund. And I 100 percent love this drawing comparisons because there is this sense of, wait, what did you call it? Tech bros fixing farms. Tech bros fixing farms. Tech bros fixing farms. However, there is a role, like not just disruption for disruption sake, but what's the opportunity in ag tech or agri-food tech? There is this clear pull from the kind of like, I mean, I'm, I hate to do this because this gets like politicized, but the kind of like elite coastal type folks. And I don't mean that disparagingly because arguably I feel like I identify in that category sometimes. Oh my gosh, me too. Same. <laughs> Although I also feel like a flyover state person in my bones. Yeah. It's just like we're all more similar than I think we think, which is what's so cool about agriculture. But, but uh, there's this clear demand for healthier food. We want local. So we want regional food economies where regenerative is kind of the new organic. And what does that mean? Great question. Um, There's all sorts of different definitions. There's not one that we've like clearly defined. I don't know that I want us to clearly define one because without going into the weeds, I don't love the definition of organic. At the end of the day, consumers are going to buy based on marketing. And I actually believe that a lot of consumer trends and what like kind of the Things, the messages that big food, and again, not trying to be, not meaning that disparagingly, but the message that like big food kind of pushes to consumers tends to follow what hot chefs were doing five years, five to 10 years ago. Okay. Which I think is really interesting. So, and I think about this personally, right? Cause like circle back, I thought about being a chef. I was like, oh, I don't know if that's going to be impactful enough. And I actually think it's highly impactful when you can be kind of the artist influencing how people are thinking about interacting with food. And so pull that back to ag. It's extremely difficult to create new food brands. And I'll bring like the cool company, for example, a company called Planet Forward. They are like a regenerative source ingredient sourcing engine. Regenerative ingredients are regenerative farming is not practiced on a majority of acres. Wait, what is regenerative? Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry, sorry. Um, regenerative is like I think I get the gist of what organic is, and yeah. I know they're regenerative is kind of like next level organic. There's it's very focused on soil health, so. The assumption is that if soil is more nutritious, then plants are more nutritious. It's a little bit more systems oriented. A lot of definitions include like community and people and like. So you're not like stripping the soil of everything. Right. So instead of using like fully synthetic chemical fertilizers, which deplete microbe life, you are using maybe organic fertilizers. You might be mulching. You're probably cover cropping. Um, 
And so just to back up, because you're so deep into ag and like most people, I think probably if I've never heard of regenerative food, yeah, no, but fair. I think the point you're making is these chefs, fancy chefs can bring an idea or a concept farm to table, organic, maybe regenerative into the like zeitgeist. Yeah. The mainstream vernacular. The mainstream vernacular. And then you have, for lack of a better word, elites who want to be healthier and have the means to buy things that they think are healthier. And they're getting this messaging and this marketing. And then your point is that that culture shift can affect how we farm. Well, it has to, right? What's weird about farming is it's less demand driven than you would think. Like farmers get are like commodity farmers get about like 16 cents on the food dollar. And for fruit and vegetable, like stuff that we eat, it's actually a much higher percentage. But it's still, you know, say sub 25 percent. So most of that money is going to the processing. You know, the more processed it is, the more money goes to the processors. But still, most is going to retail. And so and that's an issue because farmers don't have incentives to change practices to meet theoretical demand. Like there is a disconnect between supply and demand in food. So what I'm more interested in is trying to figure out how do you change nutrition availability for everyone, actually. And I do think that you're going to have a pull from the people with money because that's who's going to burn, you know, bear the premium during the transition, theoretically. But I also think that the way that invest, so investors looking at the agri-food tech space are generally the whole foods shopper, farmers market shopper type who have a lot of disposable income. And they generally haven't spent time working on farms with farmers driving, just driving through the middle of America. And so I think that that means that there's a tendency to be attracted to things that they would want to buy. But the reality is they're a very small percentage of the population that wants to buy those things. And also there's a supply chain challenge where you can say, I want We'll even say organic because it's more mainstream and I'm getting too nerdy with the regenerative. But like you can say you want organic crackers, organic dairy. But right now it's really hard for farmers to reliably produce that like premiumized product because Mm -hmm. there's not an economic like the commodity system doesn't allow for that. And a lot of people in like the in this space talk about decommoditization which is kind of insane if you really think about what commodity, like if we had decommoditization, we'd have to be like swapping tomatoes for shoes. Like right. that's not what we want. <laughs> so I like to use recommoditization, but you can't facilitate, you have to somehow produce the thing that is special on the farm in order to get that special product on the grocery shelf. So to just kind of recap, and I'm going to say this much in a more succinct way and tell me if I'm getting it right. Sure. Basically, people with money can bear some of the cost of shifting to potentially healthier or better food production. However, it may not be realistic when you actually look at how food is produced and farmed. And the investments that people are making are based on sort of their lived experience in cities and on the coasts. And it's maybe not reality based. And so what what do you think is like popular in ag tech and what do you think should be cool and popular? Yeah. yeah. So like the two best examples of that are vertical farming and alt meat, I'll say, alt protein, whatever word we want to use for it. And both from a venture capital standpoint, both of those areas are ridiculously overpriced. Maybe these are coming down like literally in the past couple of weeks, but still ridiculously overpriced. And the fundamental economics of both categories, I would argue, are completely missing. 
When you say meat, are you talking about like impossible meat? Yeah. So I'm I'm broadly categorizing it. So there's plant-based meat, like impossible meat, and then there's cell cultured meat. And there's like, there are so many alternative protein companies out there. And like, I, I alternative protein is like a broader spectra. It's so hot. We're all obsessed with protein now, right? Right. Yeah. It's like, and so, of course, everyone's going to market for it. Like, you know, when like all these different commodity groups are marketing for people to consume more of their thing, doesn't matter what it is. Like, I'll use blueberries because I farm blueberries as an example. Like, a lot of content out there about why blueberries are going to save your life. And like, I love blueberries. I, they're a good, healthy thing. But protein is going to do that, too. And when you've all protein doing it, we just need more. OK, I, I want to. This is like such an aside, but I have to say it. You're from Jersey. Kellyanne Conway is from Jersey. Her secret service name is Blueberry. She also mm. worked at a blueberry farm. Sorry. I'm just telling you facts. Mm. I'm just here okay, for a little fun fact. Me thrilled, but that's a good fun fact. Okay. <laughs> it's a good fun fact. I mean, I don't mean to demoralize you, but that is a good fun fact. OK, so f- vertical farming, focusing on like alternative protein sources. Yeah. You think that's hot, hyped, and not really where the focus should be. What should people be investing in, thinking about? What, given that you are obviously really <laughs> studying the science <laughs> yeah. behind it and the practical realities, what should be a cool, interesting investment that's actually going to make a difference for our food system? I love manure tech. For some reason, I have garnered a reputation for being... That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's a fun, <laughs> fun area. <laughs> you get a lot of pun opportunities, a lot of like calendar invites that are fun, a lot of poop emojis. But yeah, I mean, it's a super opportunity. We look look at the what's happening in the macro economy right now in terms of fertilizer availability. Guess where we have fertilizer? Animal poop. Like dairies are the f- mines of the future. Like that's how we need to be thinking. So interesting. Okay. So Um, manure tech, finding a way to take what is a natural resource and use it. Yeah. And the thing that's cool about it is like, it's not rocket science, actually. Like we do have the technology. It's like business model innovation that needs to happen and incentive changes. I mean, there's some companies that I'm very excited about in that space. I I could go on, but I won't. But I also think that like I talked about alt protein, animal feed, I think is the most interesting application for alt protein, actually, because we're not going to stop eating animals as people. I just don't believe that that's true. So I really like animal feed. I think. So, yeah. So changing what the animals are eating. Right. You think that's where people should be paying attention. OK. I think that. Well, As I, opposed to trying to change what we eat. Pigs will eat anything. Wow. You know this. I do know this. Pigs. Actually, I will say this. I know this. Yes. They will bite anything. They will eat anything. <laughs> yeah. Do not wear flip flops and drop watermelon juice on your toes if you're near a pig. <laughs> that, that sounds like a personal experience uh, <laughs> situation. But yeah. So like animals eat stuff that we can't eat and so therefore it may the way the food chain kind of works is it does make sense to eat animals i'm not and also we can totally improve animal production so i will say this as someone who i work obviously in tech i'm around a lot of venture capital investors i see a lot of investments in ghost kitchens and in these alternative meat and alternative protein products i I know people literally working at the front edge of that space i've never heard of until this week manure tech i've never heard of many of these things. And basically what you're calling for is like, let's actually have a database approach rather than a sort of like gut feeling that this farm seems cuter, therefore better. Right. It's like the ultimate Portlandia episode of like, did this chicken have like a good life before I eat it? Right. And like that's, that's, we talk about traceability in ag all the time. And it's like, you don't want traceability. You don't have time to go to the store and like figure out your chicken's name, even if you're a really rich person with a ton of free time. So your basic call to action is... If you're going to be investing in stuff, you best spend some time like driving through the middle of the country or you're just going to like spend money on things that aren't going to work, that the return expectations need to be 
more reality based for people who are investing. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't invest. That ag tech, agri food tech is critically important to both our stability, especially with everything happening with the climate. We we need resiliency in the food system. This is all the work that you're passionate about. I'm going to end on your main passion project, which yeah. is labor. No one talks about labor. And when I was working in Oregon, overseeing, so we managed six farms in Willamette Valley, hazelnut, hemp, blueberries. And I was overseeing and working alongside crews of primarily Mexican seasonal workers. We're just not designing for the crew. Like, there's just a disconnect because you're only ever asking the farmer and he's not mad about this problem because it's he doesn't even know it's really a problem. And so there is this. So I think that labor is a bottleneck, first of all, in terms of adopting things like irrigation technology, in terms of adopting all sorts of hardware, harvesting, pruning, planting equipment, all of that stuff. And I think that it's also like the most morally important thing to solve for. And then from an economic standpoint, it's the largest line item on any farm operation budget. And in particular on specialty crops, so like stuff we eat, fruit and vegetables and nuts. And this goes all the way back to, okay, if we want more regional production of fruit and vegetables and nuts and stuff we eat, we need labor near us. And like I have done some work with, there's this great group, this farmer network in Memphis, Tennessee called Ag Launch that is really focused on getting farmers involved in innovation, right? And they have done some work with the World Wildlife Fund on kind of looking at California has kind of a water problem. Yes, you know. I know. Um, and almonds. And for a while, we weren't supposed to eat almonds. I don't know. Hazelnuts. I can go. We don't have time, but hazelnuts are the nut you should eat. Okay. I'm just <laughs> going to take your word for that. I've uh, literally never bought a hazelnut in my life. But I love hazelnuts. They're cheaper than almonds. They're good. They're lower water intensity, easier to farm. Love um, it. <laughs> Two takeaways, manure tech and hazelnuts. <laughs> if California runs out of water, you can't produce fruit and vegetables there. That's where almost all U.S. fruit and vegetable production is. Where does it go? The Delta. The mid, the Mississippi Delta region, the Mid-South, Southern Missouri, Tennessee, edges kind of of Kentucky along the river, down into Louisiana. Like that region is very fertile farmland. It's super cheap farmland. There are a lot of farmers, but do you know what's missing? Labor. Labor. There is no labor there. And the other component is if you look at automation and technology solutions, those solutions right now are only being built in the states with the highest minimum wages and most overtime, most restrictive overtime laws for seasonal workers because they can cost compete and they can't cost compete with $7 minimum wage in Tennessee. I think that we will see a shift in automation and I don't think we'll see a shift towards full automation. So like, I think you see a lot of venture capitalists investing in robots that are going to fully automate farming and that's not going to work is my hot take. It'll work on certain contexts, super controlled environment, indoor stuff, maybe strawberries. It generally won't work. And so this is a great this is a great hot take. And maybe we end with this hot take, which is if we think about the water issues in California, if we think about the fact that we depend so heavily on very specific places for a significant amount of major types of food that mm-hmm. we eat. What you're encouraging is diversifying where that goes. And to do that, we have to have a combination of labor that makes sense, that is humane, that works, and that uses technology and robotics and these innovations in a way that's actually practically useful to the people who are for sure going to have to still be engaged because farming is going to take actual humans. Exactly. That's your takeaway. That is my takeaway. This Better been, said than I did. What's the final thought you want to end on for people? 
I mean, I, I think people should. I don't actually think people most people should think about food tech. You know what? Honestly, I think that is such a great takeaway. When I start to think about the food chain in general and supply chain, I get really stressed out. Yeah, you shouldn't have to. I think on the investor thing, if you have if you want to invest in ag tech, the question you should be asking is who is you ask the ask the founders who is using your product and talk to them. Talk to who is using that product because that they better understand that. And that's where capital can be applied in places that actually can solve problems right. rather than putting money into things that sound sexy but aren't going to work. Yeah. So like that was a, that's a short-winded way of saying talk to the farmer. Talk to the farmer. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Just a reminder that Teched Up is now on an every other week schedule. So be sure to follow us so you don't miss an episode.